Welcome to The Curriculum, a podcast by Cornerstones Education. Here we discuss all things curriculum, plus leadership issues, teaching tips and much, much more. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of The Curriculum Podcast. I'm your host, Caroline Pudner. Now, curriculum sequencing, that's what we're going to talk about today. And why we're talking about it is because it's becoming a bigger and bigger topic of discussion in education circles. And that is partly because Ofsted, as they're going into schools now, and already they are starting to ask schools how their curriculum has been sequenced, connected, how it's designed and constructed. So, What is curriculum sequencing? That's what we're going to be looking into today. Why is it important? And also, how do primary schools achieve it with their curriculum? So today I'm joined by Melanie Moore, who's our curriculum director here at Cornerstones, and she's a founder as well of the company. Mel and her team have been developing a fully sequenced and interconnected curriculum Curriculum 2022, which you can find out about on our website. But I thought she's the perfect person to come in and talk to us about curriculum sequencing. So, hi, Mel. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Caroline. You're very welcome. Very strange feeling doing this over Zoom rather than doing it together in a room. But I know. It's really good to see you. Yeah, I think it's even more poignant doing it like this with people that you're so used to working alongside in an office. But um, hopefully one day we'll get back into our studio and be able to talk a lot more about these kind of issues, because actually this and other aspects of curriculum design and curriculum quality are just going to, I think, ramp up, don't you, over the next academic year. And it's going to start being talked about a lot more. Obviously, now we're talking, it's the school holidays, but certainly in September, when Ofsted inspections start again in earnest, there's going to be a lot of talk around curriculum and curriculum sequencing in particular. Uh, And and schools are going to need to be ready, armed with the information. Uh, They need to be able to answer the questions that are going to be asked during that inspection process. So yes, it's coming and it's very relevant. Yeah, definitely. So let's dive in with the first question I suppose I've got is, what do we mean by curriculum sequencing? Okay, so the the process of curriculum sequencing is about mapping out the skills, so your procedural knowledge and knowledge, your declarative knowledge and content across your school curriculum so that what children learn builds on what they've learnt before. Hmm. The practicalities of that are very complex. For a start, schools have to identify what the key or larger concepts are that they want to teach within each curriculum subject. They then need to break those down into smaller component parts so that the learning is manageable for children. And then they need to sequence them correctly so that children can gradually build their knowledge and understanding over time of those larger concepts Mm. so that's what sequencing is in a nutshell although I'm sure we're going to sort of dive more deeply into the complexities of that as, as we talk but that's how I would describe the process that's really helpful. So could you give us an example, Mel, of a, of a concept in the primary curriculum and how it could be sequenced, you know, across the year group? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll try and do it very simply. Let's take the concept of 
colour in art, which is obviously one of the huge overarching concepts in art and one of the visual elements which builds children's complete understanding of art. If we take colour and we break that down into its smaller component parts, we would probably start with primary colours, so naming and recognising and mixing primary colours, so that would be one small component part. Once children have learned about the primary colours, they would then move on to the secondary colours. And they can't obviously just go straight into the secondary colours because they need to understand that the primary colours are the colours that make all of the colours. So that will take them to the mixing of those primary colours will make secondary colours. And there's a whole lot of exploration to do around that. Then children would move on to families of colour. So we would look at hot and cool colours, analogous colours, complementary and contrasting colours which obviously builds on both primary and secondary colour theory. Mm. We then might move on to teaching children about tints, tones and shades of colour. And to be able to do that, they need to understand all about colour families and the colour wheel and everything that I've mentioned before. Mm. And then we might move on to the more complex application of colour theory by looking at things like perspective in painting using colour, the creation of mood and atmosphere using colour and the use of expression using colour. But I hope you can see just in that example how we really have to think very carefully about what the component parts are when we teach them, why we teach them, when we've identified when we'll teach them and how we'll teach them. So that's just like that one very small, almost narrative of a, of a larger concept of how I might break that down into small component yeah. parts. Um, that's obviously not all done in one year group. That process that I've just described would take us from the earliest foundation stage right up to year six. Yeah, so it's that overview, isn't it, that schools need of every subject and then these concepts within subjects like art. I mean, you've done it for all the subjects that we have in the curriculum. You need that end point and, and tease it right back to the beginning An example also I've heard is that how can a child paint a landscape, a sunset landscape, without that great knowledge of the warm, the cool colours, how to colour mix? They could. We could ask them to paint a landscape, but they wouldn't have as much understanding in the use of or application of colour. And therefore, children will find it challenging because they don't have the skills or the knowledge to be able to tackle that task properly because they don't have that skills and knowledge under their belt but the work itself would be of a much lower quality because children have not been able to apply the right knowledge and understanding to Mm. get the best quality outcome yeah so that actually leads me into my next question which is why sequencing is so important you've just touched upon a really crucial aspect of it there which is it's equipping children isn't it's enabling them and giving them the skills and the knowledge in the right order from nursery to year six within each subject why do you feel it's important to get this right and to get it into your curriculum design I think probably in the past we've thought about curriculum sequencing but not in the same way So I do think that what schools have been good at doing, for example, is take the history curriculum, is looking at chronology and sequencing their history projects so that children are understanding the basic chronology. So teaching the Romans before they would teach the Tudors Mm. in British history. 
But I think the difference now is that we're not talking about the context. We're talking about sequencing. Well, actually, before we sequence, identifying the larger concepts that you want in your curriculum for each subject and then thinking about how those break down into smaller component parts and how those might be sequenced. So I do think we have thought about curriculum sequencing, but probably not in the amount of detail we are now tackling sequencing of curriculum concepts. So it, it is quite a shift in thinking. And obviously the starting point for schools is to think for each subject, what are the key or the larger concepts that they want children to understand as an outcome of their geography curriculum or their history curriculum or their art curriculum. And that's where schools really need to start when they're thinking about the curriculum sequencing. And there are many pitfalls, really, if we don't think about this. One of the things is that obviously we can't teach these larger concepts in one go. And it's all right to know that we are not responsible for teaching the whole concept in one go. And that's why teamwork is really important here Mm. and looking at the bigger picture of the whole curriculum. Like, Like you were saying before, you know, wouldn't expect one teacher to be able to teach in one year group, the primary, the secondary colours and colour families. It's just way too much. It's about knowing what I'm responsible for teaching in my classroom and having the confidence that my colleague who has that group of children in the next year group knows exactly what I've done with them. So, and they know exactly what they're going to do to continue building this concept. Mm. So one of the things is knowing that we can't teach the larger concepts in one big piece. We need to break those down. If we don't, we are overloading our children with huge chunks of knowledge, which they're not able to process and they don't have any building blocks to build that understanding on. And then the other pitfall is if we don't have a correctly sequenced curriculum, then we're in danger of either causing great gaps in children's knowledge and understanding because we have completely missed one of the building blocks out of that sequence. And then when you come to teach them about condensation in science in year five, it's just saying this off the top of my head, they have no understanding of you know, the water cycle and condensation and changes of state that they've studied in previous year groups. And I suppose another outcome of that would be misunderstandings and misconceptions that children would build up over time because they haven't had the knowledge and information in the right sequence so things don't quite make sense to them and therefore they they sort of fill in the gaps for themselves and things become misconstrued and misunderstood and then you've got to unpick and go back to what the gaps are that cause those misconceptions. Yeah I mean I certainly have experienced that when I taught older children at primary. Huge gaps in understanding You develop a schema in your brain about how you think something works, but if it hasn't been taught in the right sequence and they've missed it, it is a lot of work actually unpicking that and reteaching. So it has huge implications actually, not sequencing the curriculum in that way, but just picking up on what you said earlier, this is a new level of granular sequencing now that we're talking. This is like a new era in curriculum design where you're really going down to these component parts. So that is a lot of work and we'll get onto that maybe in a bit. So Mel, another term that's used and particularly with our curriculum is interconnected 
sequencing. And I just wanted to ask you what you mean by that. When you were looking at designing this curriculum, what does interconnected mean for you and how, how did you do it? Well, one of the things that I'm very conscious of is that children can learn facts and information in isolation, but actually if we can make meaningful connections across the curriculum and with other subjects, then their understanding of a concept can be a much stronger one than if they didn't have those meaningful connections. Mm. So it was really important for me when we started writing our sequenced curriculum, which we're calling Curriculum 22, it was very important that when we were identifying our larger concepts, that we looked where a concept straddled one or more subjects because that's also got to be in our mind when we're sequencing Mm. because what children learn in science can also be revisited in much of the geography curriculum and vice versa. If we take an aspect of the art curriculum such as textiles, then we also know that uh, fabrics and materials are also taught in design technology and Mm. are also taught in science actually. So we're not only thinking about that properties of materials as a concept in one subject, but as a multidisciplinary concept that will straddle different curriculum subjects. And that means working together with other curriculum leads and not developing your curriculum sequencing in isolation Mm. so that you can have those conversations and you can make sure when you are mapping a concept that you are taking account of where things introduced, revisited and taught in other subjects as well as your own subject. We did that to give one example of how we've thought through concepts of climate and how the smaller component parts are introduced and built on over time so that by the end of uh, year six, children have a really good understanding of climate. I mean, it's too complex for me to sort of explain on the podcast. Probably people need to download that and have a look at it for themselves. But it was interesting because as soon as we put that up, lots of schools were saying, that's fantastic, that's amazing. Can you do this for the whole curriculum? And the answer is simply, we would have to create thousands of these concept maps to be able to show you all of the connections, all of the interconnections, all the sequencing. It, it, it can't be put in one single piece of paper. Um, and interesting, like what we're doing at the moment is we are developing a piece of software that will be able to show the sequences and the interconnections across our whole curriculum. But it is on a huge database and it will be a really complex piece of software which schools can, you know, lucky for them, click a button and <laughs> see those interconnections and be able to use that to understand what is happening in the curriculum. We started two years ago on this curriculum, got one more year to go, which we're focusing on the science. It's an incredibly complex, ongoing process. You know, it's all very well, isn't it? Hearing Ofsted talking about it and hearing people saying it needs to be this, it needs to be that. But actually getting down and doing it is extremely time consuming and an intricate task. Actually, I'll just mention Ofsted, Mel. From what you've seen of what they've been talking about in terms of curriculum sequencing and some of the research that's come out, what's your take on all of that? What are the key highlights, do you think? Well, I do happen to have a quote here, if you'd like me to read it. Taken from one of the... um, Saying that curriculum designers need to understand the what, where, why and how. What is the core knowledge that the school has decided to teach? Where are they teaching it? Why have they chosen that sequence of teaching? 
and how are other types of knowledge and disciplinary knowledge interlinked, which is what we've just been talking about. But the challenge to schools of that type of questioning, and particularly to subject leaders or curriculum leaders, is a, is a really high level of challenge. And I don't know if any of you listeners recently saw the music paper that came out, the research paper. Oh, Ofsted's re- review, yeah. yeah. And just, you know, just reading through that, the level of subject knowledge that is required in a subject which admittedly is not my strongest subject is immense, really. And, you know, just because you are leading a subject in school, it doesn't mean to say you have a specific degree in that subject. It's a real high level of subject knowledge needed by the subject leads and other staff to understand what they're teaching in these you know smaller component parts is really a a big challenge and of course we are hearing from some of the schools that we work with some of the questions that Ofsted are asking so Mm. for example one I heard last week was show me how empire is taught throughout your curriculum and it's for subject leaders or curriculum leaders to be able to have that knowledge at their fingertips Mm -hmm. to be able to answer that question and to be really clear how that is taught across their curriculum and even is that one of their larger concepts that they've decided to teach yeah across their curriculum they may not call it empire they might call it power or you know it's knowing your curriculum really really well which will help you to answer those questions yeah and we, we've been looking haven't we at the reviews coming out and and I think you're right it's um it's a lot for primary practitioners as well because sequencing the curriculum to be able to pin down the component parts and to imagine a child's journey through what they need to know first before the next thing before the next thing it's not just the subject knowledge it's the knowledge of teaching and curriculum design isn't it yeah so for example let's take the art curriculum if we look at the national curriculum in one key stage there's three programs of study and I think it's key stage two there's four programs of study Mm. Um, And they don't really tell you the overarching concepts that you need to teach. That's actually for you to decide. Things are a little better when we come to subjects like maths and English and science, because quite often they are already sequenced to a certain degree because they are organised in the national curriculum by year group. But it is the subjects like music and art and PE, the humanities that are less explicit in the national curriculum and therefore probably require more thinking about in terms of what the larger concepts are that will help the school build the children's understanding of geography, history, art, music and so on. Mm. Um, And I think that is why Ofsted are bringing these subject reports out because they're trying to put a little bit more meat on the bones for us. But even reading those, they are quite overwhelming. And, you know, looking at the music one, wow, that's a lot to ensure you have going on in your curriculum and that everybody understands their part is in, in teaching all those concepts. Actually, that's a really important point, isn't it? That it's not just you as the subject leader. It's every teacher throughout the school has to have some sense of ownership and expertise in their place in that 
journey yeah because um, if, it, if an Ofsted inspector goes in and says like like we said where is empire taught in your curriculum well does everybody know where empire is taught in your curriculum is everybody aware that empire is a concept in your curriculum is everyone aware that color is a main concept in your curriculum does everybody know what their part is in that chain of learning yeah. relating to that concept Knowledge is a big topic and of our projects in the curriculum are, are very knowledge rich. But what about skills and sequencing of skills, Mel? What's your take on that? OK, so we refer to our curriculum framework as a skills and knowledge framework. It's pure semantics, because if you want to call those skills procedural knowledge, that's absolutely fine. And knowledge is what knowledge is. It's declarative facts and information. My partner, Simon, has done some work on looking at all the different reports, frameworks and research papers that are coming out from Ofsted. And I think so far he's identified 27 different types of knowledge that have been mentioned across the board in those papers. Now, to me, that's absolutely ridiculous. But I think for me, skills and knowledge is a good way to refer to things as long as you have the understanding that skills are procedural knowledge and knowledge is declarative knowledge. Mm. And that's how we use that terminology. And it seems to work well for schools. So it's the framework, isn't it, that offers that sequence of development of skill. So that's at the granular level. And then all of that links to the higher level concepts. Yeah, it is. If you think of that hierarchy triangle, Mm. um, at the top, you've got your larger concepts. And we have 10 big ideas, huge world concepts that pin all of our curriculum together. Yeah, They're broken down into subject specific concepts. And then they're broken down into smaller aspects. And then again, at the bottom of your pyramid, there's even smaller granular component parts, which is the procedural knowledge and the declarative knowledge. And all of that is tied together in a framework. And we couldn't start on our curriculum until we had that framework. And we were really sure that that was as tight as it could be. And that took us a year in in itself to get all of that groundwork done before we could start writing the content that would deliver the skills and knowledge. So that work in itself took us a year to do. And then it's taken us two years on top of that to start building all of the content. And now we're on the final subject, which is science. And that's what we'll be working on this year. But yeah, the groundwork is so important. It's not something you can just dive into a single subject. It's about looking at the bigger picture those huge sort of global issues that you want to address through your curriculum and then breaking those down, 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 down into the granular parts. That's really clear. Thank you, Mel. In fact, I'd quite like us to do a diagram of that triangle, of the layers of sequencing. I think that'd be helpful, quite simple, and it belies the complexity of the work that's involved. I've talked to lots of schools and hardly any of us had at the time of our PGCE and our early teacher training Any training in curriculum design, and it's a lot for Ofsted to expect schools now to be curriculum designers and to have that time and the expertise to be able to do this kind of work. We're always here to help. We can offer guidance. There are things on our website and we'll always be talking about this, particularly this coming year. 
more guidance on sequencing. I was just going to say that one of the things that we've done now to help schools that we're working with to deliver a fully sequenced curriculum is, as I say, we have this curriculum 22 and that is available for schools to just adapt. It has all the subject content, all the interdisciplinary links, all the key concepts and smaller component parts sequenced correctly. And we would recommend that schools really take a good look at that and really consider adapting that curriculum. And that will really put you in a very good position in terms of having a fully sequenced and interconnected curriculum. Yeah, that assurance, isn't it? And you can still tailor it, can't you? I wouldn't mess around with the sequence of it because that's been very well thought mm. through. And But of course, schools can still make their own adaptions. So yeah. the local history studies, the teacher's expertise, they can adapt the lesson content, they can use the resources in flexible ways, other yeah. ways than yeah. the ways we've suggested. They can add lessons in if they wanted to. So it's fully editable and adaptable, but you are starting with the knowledge that you have this fully sequenced curriculum in place. And then, of course, in September, they'll be able to demonstrate those links and aspects that we've talked about by using our new piece of software, which we're calling Curriculum Pro. So let's say, for example, a history subject lead was asked that question, how do you teach the concept of empire across Mm. your curriculum? They'd be able to type in the word empire and Curriculum Pro would show every place that empire is taught or revisited across the whole curriculum. It's a pretty amazing piece of software, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, it sounds um, it. like a huge brain. Yeah, but it's come because of talking to schools, isn't it? And thinking about what they need now. And, and luckily at Cornerstones, we do have that amazing team of the Simon, but there's also the teachers and the software developers who can actually put that into place. The schools advisors are really aware of what schools are asking for and the problems that they faced in trying to do this themselves and trying to articulate these concepts. So a piece of software like that, schools are already saying, haven't they, that they're really pleased that that's coming out. Yeah, I mean, not only that, but we've had a really positive reaction to our new Curriculum 22 from schools who've just said, thank you, thank you. This is fantastic. Some schools have the fear that they may be adapting something which is too didactic, but then once they've had it explained that they can make all of those adaptions and edits Mm. we've just talked about, they're more than happy. Once they see the capability that they have to edit and adapt things using the Maestro platform, then those worries concerns disappear so yeah the the initial feedback from schools has been very grateful and really really positive oh that's lovely to hear I mean I know from working here for a while the content is not just pub quiz here we go we'll sequence all the component parts and deliver it it's delivered through you know engaging topics and contexts you've got your skills projects in there that focus on the art skills the key geography skills and knowledge it's a real mixture of project types uh, to end up really with a, a rich curriculum like you say Mel the school can still adapt and teachers can still edit to suit their children and the school yeah. so and I wouldn't want people to think that it's just a tick list of knowledge that children have to learn you know it's really important 
to me that we always have at the heart of everything we do what is a primary child and what is their needs and what excites them and what are they interested in and how can we foster children's love of learning and that's why everything we create even this new curriculum which yes it is more structured and it is more sequential than our previous curriculum is that it's always based on our pedagogy and our pedagogy reflects all those things that a primary child is and the learning environment that we want for primary children so we've still got the innovation we've still got engage we still want children to create discuss talk play but underpinning all of that is a very clear sequential framework so we haven't you know I would never lose that aspect because those are the things that are at the heart of every child and we wouldn't want to see primary schools turning into factories where children just learn knowledge by rote we still want to see children being children but we want to be able to support their learning as best we can and it's about getting that mix of both and not losing one for the sake of the other. Mel that's a fantastic way to end the podcast I think on that note because it is I agree totally it's understanding primary children how they develop and how they learn. Thank you so much Mel. You're very welcome if I could just say that if children if children if schools are are um, working with us if they have a maestro license and they're not clear on the curriculum 22 please give us a call send us an email and we will go through the new curriculum with you um, so that support is available for you so please don't sit back and worry about things changing if you are not currently working with cornerstones but you've been interested in what we've been saying And please just give us a call, book in a 10 to 15 minute tour and just see what we are talking about. See what we have got for you. And even if you don't want it, like it, it will give you some food for thought for developing your own curriculum. So it's been really interesting. Our live chat is busier than it's ever been before with people Mm. asking questions about exactly what we've been talking about, about sequencing curriculum inspection. And we love to have schools ask us questions and talk to us so please feel free definitely yeah thank you very much for joining us today and to tuning into this episode and we wish you all the very best so until next time it's goodbye from us here thank you for listening to this podcast it was brought to you by cornerstones education we help primary schools in england wales and beyond with the materials and tools to design deliver and manage their curriculum Follow us on social media at cornstones.edu or visit us on our website cornstones.co.uk. We would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening.